This podcast is brought to you by Enrollment Resources, Innovations in Enrollment Management. Learn more at enrollmentresources.com. Folks, welcome. Today, this is uh, part three of the enrollment, Joint Enrollment Resources Velocify webinar series on um, how to create a world-class enrollment management process. My name is Shane Sparks. I'm uh, one of the co-founders here at Enrollment Resources, and I'm joined by uh, Steve Davis. Steve is, uh, I forget your title, Steve, important guy at Velocify related to education. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, so basically, Shane, I'm, uh, this is Steve Davis. I'm, I'm in charge of enterprise sales efforts at Velocify for our education vertical. I also handle a lot of the business development responsibility, like partnering with great companies like Enrollment Resources. So I handle all of those relationships as well. Wonderful. And then we have, we're joined by Tom King. So Tom King is uh, VP Enrollment Management Services, I believe your title is. Uh, yeah, something like that. Anyway, Tom is a, a former client of ours that, thank goodness, I thank my lucky stars every day, joined our team about, I think, a year ago, and is responsible for um, uh, do, uh, client coaching, consulting, training, and, and working on our software division, and, and has I don't know, 10, 10, 15 years of experience, of executive level experience running uh, large schools. Is that fair? Sounds great. Great. And then we're also joined by Sterling Simpson. Sterling uh, is in charge of business development in our company and uh, has been with us for, uh, gosh, I think seven, eight years now. It's been a long time. Um, is that about right, Sterling? Actually, not that long. It just seems like that long. But I'm right. coming up to six years. <laughs> I'm just used to you now. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So topic today is how do we create a culture that obsesses about, the, about a positive first impression? And, and today we're going to lean a lot on Steve for, uh, to share the insights and some of the research that Philosophy has uncovered over the years. So let's get into it. Steve, we know that, um, uh, first, that if we use remote tools for first point of contact, like things that basically set up the lead to be that person to be more receptive to a, a phone call and more receptive to booking appointment that that like that lead quality issue has influence on whether they will ultimately talk to us and come in and see us and our virtual advisor tool is an example of that but you know instead of us shilling for ourselves to promote virtual advisor i thought can you share kind of Velocify's perspective on what kind of lead quality or conversion tools such as virtual advisor how they can impact things well yeah you know and i i'm a i'll tell you what if i'm a i've been at Velocify. i'm on my fourth year at Velocify, and i am i'm a big believer in technology obviously and and how to automate process so i've been studying it living it for four years now and I'm very passionate about it. And when I see great solutions out in the market, I definitely want to call those out. And for instance, so creating a great impression from the very beginning starts at the lead. It starts at the creation of a lead. And one of the things that I love about a virtual advisor, and I think it's important to start today's topic off with the very front part of the process, a new inquiry coming in, some of the things that I feel are so impactful with like a solution like virtual advisor, you have the ability with that solution 
to create a very highly qualified and you know lead coming in the door a qualified prospect because of the detailed questions that get asked and answered it takes about five to seven minutes to go through but what happens is with that great information obtained it sets the admissions counselor up for immediate success and to also have a very intelligent conversation out of the get-go and that's part of what leads to a world-class experience from the get-go so from that point I would give it back to you Shane to kind of add on to that but that's the thing that I think is special about what your solution does at the front end it starts the process off magically to me right at the beginning hmm. Tom I've got a question for you along these lines can training overcome lead quality issues and let me just frame it up a bit more. So if, if you're, you run a team of reps and you're feeding them lousy leads, right, the marketing is doing a poor job for whatever reason, can training overcome that, or is, is lead quality really kind of the linchpin in this? What are your thoughts? Well, that's a, that's a really great question. Um, the, the short and quick answer uh, would probably be no. Uh, I think it would, you know, if uh, – a poor lead, no matter how well trained the rep is, uh, a, a really poorly generated lead uh, is just not going to either convert or you're not going to be able to get a hold of. Uh, and I kind of point back to, uh, without really taking shots anywhere, I point back to the pay-per-click payday of you know probably five, ten years ago, when uh, not pay-per-click, I'm sorry, but pay-per-lead, uh, where people were just buying crappy leads from any portal or aggregator out there, um, some of which weren't even alive. Uh, you know, so no, those leads were, were absolutely horrible, and no matter how well-trained your staff is, uh, you're not going to be able to get a hold of or work with a lead who is, is really not, either wasn't interested, you don't know how they got to you, um, or doesn't know much about your, your, your product. You can only sell... Uh, to, to people that have a, a genuine interest or need for your product. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so so to frame this up then, and this is maybe the interplay between the responsibilities of marketing and the responsibilities of admissions, right, as departments. If to create this culture, this this world-class enrollment management system, which is the point of this webinar series, and to set up your team for success so that they can make a fantastic first impression, how you get them in the door, like how you find those people of interest is, is kind of critical to the whole thing. And if you, are, if you fail in that effort or if marketing isn't delivering something that's workable for the admissions team, no amount of training, no amount of um, you know, webinars you attend, no, no amount of um, superior admissions systems – are going to compensate for that problem. That's kind of the, the consensus I'm hearing. Great. So, Steve, yep. I've got a question then. So, okay, so assume we've solved that problem. Hey, we've got great leads coming in uh, through basically sources that we control, right? So we're not buying a bunch of garbage from third parties. That first kind of connection point, right, that first the, the, the time between when that lead's generated and we make that first connection with that person, speed to call. Can you tell me how important that is? Like, does that matter or is that, does that help us? Yeah, Shane, that's a great starting point. We call it first caller's advantage at Velocify. 
We've talked a lot about it in 10 years of serving the higher education space as a software provider for EDU. Speed to call is critical. And, you know, and you talk about lead quality. I mean, you're still going to see a lot of schools with PPL inquiries that they take in. Uh, more and more schools are leaning to PPC and SEO, of course, but they're, they're all blended together, right? But uh, speed to call is, in, is critical to conversion. And there's a couple things I'm going to talk about. Um, they come from studies that we've done with our research. And great, you know, great companies will mine their data. They will pull data out of their system and then analyze it and turn it in different directions and pull out relevant information to share with the world. And a couple of things that we've come across over the years, number one is speed to first call is critical to enrollment rates. So we, we found in digging into about 3.5 million inquiries within the Velocify system, and we have about 150 schools that use Velocify today, uh, in schools and universities, we found that if you can make a first call attempt within the first 60 seconds that that inquiry is in your system, you're almost 500 times more likely to enroll them then than at any other time that that inquiry is in your system. So you want to make sure that you have a great system in place and an ability with your CRM to get the inquiries in, take them in, distribute them, and call quickly with, with your, uh, your, your phones, with your admissions advisors, because you have the best chance within that first minute. The rates, you know, the percentages drop down consistently, and the first two days become super critical, obviously, over time in enrolling. But that first minute, you get number one, you're, you're creating a great student experience because you are, you're showing the student that you care. And yes, a call 15 seconds after they hit submit can be intimidating, but you're showing that you care and you're showing that you know, you're, wanting, you're wanting to help that student accomplish their goals of changing their life. And okay, so, so it's, Steve, let me, let me interrupt you for yeah. a sec right there. So you're, yeah. you're saying if I call, you're a lead and I call you within 30, 60 seconds, the chance of enrolling you is 500% greater than if I wait, I don't know, a day or two? It is, or even 45, or 45 minutes. It, it, the, the percentages drop. So that first minute is, is mission critical. We found that from our data that schools that called within the first minute were 400 times more likely to enroll, 490% more likely to enroll them than at any other time. So it's a, it's a big number but wow. uh, the numbers drop over time. Okay, so let, let, I'm going to interrupt, and Tom, I want to get your perspective on this. So um, f from working with clients over the years, sometimes we get objections to this kind of idea, right? Oh, we can't call them. We're going to seem desperate. It's too aggressive. Uh, you know, it, it uh, doesn't show well on our brand because it makes us look like salesmen or, you know, you get weird emotional objections. How do you respond to that, Tom, when, when a client puts up a roadblocks around immediate calling? Uh, yeah, it's, you, you think you really have to realize that this is still a sales profession, um, number one. I, I think there's a lot of schools that, that grab, grapple with that on their admission side. They want to be consultants or motivational career speakers, or whatever on their business cards or something. It, it's, a, it's a sales job. And in sales, we have to have, you have to have a process. Uh, any good sales organization must have, a defined, uh, must have a defined process. And I think it's just really educating 
uh, schools that, you know, hey, this is the sales part of our business, which drives our business, uh, and you, you need to have a sales process, and you need to take advantage of the technology that's available uh, to companies like Velocify and others where it allows you a speed-to-lead call uh, in, in that first minute. And for some, it's, it's painful uh, to, to overcome that, but it's really a matter of just educating uh, the admissions and sales side that this is really a, a, sales, a sales process and we have to define it and use the technology that's available if we want the, to get the optimal results. So, so for and just anyone, to feed, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I wanted to feed off of something too there, Shane, real fast. We, we did another study, and this is just to talk about buyers' preferences. We did a study uh, not too long ago with Possible Now, and, and anybody on this call who's an EU might be familiar with Possible Now. You might use them for TCPA type compliance. And we did a we did a study, a survey with Possible Now and Zogbee Analytics, where we basically pulled a thousand individuals from client bases of all of ours. And basically, what we found were that 64% of buyers believe that the first company to call them had the advantage over the others. That's six out of 10, everybody that's listening today. So it, it, it's super critical. We have this uh, information you know, that we can provide uh, at another time through, through downloading on our website, but it's there. And I just wanted to share that point, how, how critical it is. So I'll give it back to so, you, Shane, on that note. So the majority of, and these were, these were potential students you pulled, viewed, <laughs> viewed this as a positive, not a negative. That's right. That and they felt that the first, the first school to reach out and made contact generally was going to get the, get the uh, opportunity. They only wanted to hear from maybe two more schools beyond that, and after that, that was enough. But the first school got the chance to create the best first impression and was able to uh, create that, that great memorable experience, that world-class experience right from the start. Interesting. And if I can jump in real, really quickly, too, on it, um, you know, and that's in schools. And really, I, I've seen stats of 35 to 50 percent of all sales anywhere goes to the vendor that responds first. But you also realize that in many cases, you're not the only school that they applied to in that online session, and that typically there's at least two other schools that have received a lead at roughly the same time your school did. So. That's why that speed to lead is, is so critical is you're, you're not the only school that received a lead in that session uh, where that prospect was online looking at potentially you and one or two of your other competitors. Uh, so that's why that speed to lead is so, so uh-huh. critical. Wow. Okay, so really the, the, the barrier to this best practice, there's two of them. One is technological it's not, this isn't really solvable from, um, uh, hey, guys, phone faster. Like, uh, imploring your admission staff to phone faster isn't realistic because it has to happen so quickly that you, you, you could miss an opportunity taking a bathroom break or, you know, checking your Facebook kind of thing. And two, the, the cultural barrier to it is is one where the, the school perceives that service as as um, uh, too aggressive, or they've got kind of a sales prejudice culture in the school, and aren't acknowledging that a customers want it, and b we're in a competitive world, and you got to step up, and if you don't, someone else will. 
Interesting. Okay. Yeah, you nailed it, Shane. That's it. I mean, it's I've read study over study in the industry, you know, published by multiple different companies that analyze, you know, the trends in marketing and inquiry generation. And it's, I've read three to five schools are are looked into, you know, these days. So it's it's you know, there are different bits of information out there, but it's super competitive. And, you know, at Velocify, we are in business to help schools that compete for students convert more to enrolled students. So you've got to be thinking about this proactively and not be reactive or you will, you will lose. Okay, well, let's talk about another thing that, is, that falls under that sales prejudice kind of banner, and that's persistency of follow-up, right? So lead comes in, hey, try them, oh, maybe try them again, and then, oh, I don't want to be a pest, I don't want to be you know, too aggressive, we don't want to be stalking this person, and you don't. So what is appropriately persistent? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, there's a, there are a number of things you need to be thinking about about your brand. Uh, do you want to be a school that is, or a university that's calling your inquiries three times a day all month long? or continually even beyond that. There are some schools that still do that to this day. Uh, but you don't want to tarnish your brand, so you want to think about it. You also don't want to waste resources by being too persistent. There's a point of no return where maybe you're not using your resources that well. And so what we looked at when we did some studies years back on the optimal number of calls, we found that it was six calls in the higher education space. And we also looked at some other industries that we serve at Velocify, but we looked at business-to-consumer activity of 3.5 million inquiries that went through Velocify and found that the optimal number of calls was six. And the cadence and the staggering is important. Six calls, five emails, two voicemails over 22 days. That's what we kind of found as being a really nice optimal strategy uh, for schools that employ our, our software. They can go up on it in day one. That's the contact strategy they could employ if they want. The great thing is you can always tweak that. If you're a school that doesn't believe that that's the case, you can, you can modify and direct your strategy any way you want. Now, one thing I want to mention here, as I just said, it's six calls, five emails, two voicemails over 22 days. Shane, you weren't at our enrollment um, summit that we had at Velocify. We did a boot camp in 2016. Shane was, Shane was there. Um, we had other folks from ER, enrollment uh, resources that, was, that were out in Los Angeles. We had 20 thought leaders, VPs of admissions from top institutions around the country. Some of them were our clients, your clients. Some were, you know, prospective clients. And the interesting thing was, in backing up kind of the data that I'm talking about here, we had two clients that were there that were present. And, again, if Greg were here, he could verify it because he was in the room. But we had Grantham University, a VP from Grantham there, and we also had a VP of admissions for their online division at um, Herzing, Herzing University. And both of them said that after call number six, they saw a tremendous drop-off in the enrollment rates. And so what we found is that 93% of enrollments in our study happened within the first six calls. So that's what you should be thinking about. And no matter what your belief is on how many calls you should make, you should always A-B test it and use your system to try different things. Maybe you think 10 is the right number. If you believe that and you show it to be true, then you implement a 10-call strategy for all of your inquiries that you can manage across your, your admissions floor. 
But okay, so so the two two, two points maybe to hit on here. One, the six calls over you said twenty two days or six attempts over twenty two days, and and you guys have a a graph that kind of maps it out day one, day three, day whatever, which we uh, will send out to the, all the attendees after this. Um, that is a, uh, that is, that comes out of research, however, and it's corroborated by six, some, a couple of successful schools, at least, uh, anecdotally. <laughs> but, hey, maybe it's seven, maybe it's four, who know, you know, it, it, the, the school, the culture, and the community can influence that a little bit. So, one, people should test. Mm -hmm. um, two, and Sterling, I actually want you to weigh in on this one. It's our view that the, the first month, you know, the first month-ish, 22 days to 30 days-ish, that, that lead is really owned by the admissions department. So it's being, there's, there's attempts to contact, and the nature of the communication is around getting them in, immediacy of connecting with an admissions person. After a month, it becomes a marketing problem. Really, it becomes part of a, you know, a nurture marketing campaign, and the type of communication and the, the type of messaging is different. Sterling, can you speak to that a little bit for us? Oh, maybe he can't. Maybe he's on mute. Sorry. Yeah. What I find is after that, that initial time period which you determine the lead is like stale or comes out of admissions, you want to change the message away from a more salesy or um, a transactional message towards something where you're trying to get feedback from them. So you want to create a feedback loop. So that's where something like a stale lead survey or a lead recovery survey where you're asking for their um, to give you feedback on their experience is a great way to communicate with them because then they're more likely to answer that because you're going to a different approach. And within that survey or um, that email where you're trying to get that feedback, you could have reload questions in there to see if they're still interested too. So um, mm -hmm. changing your approach in that sort of way, changing the messaging once they move beyond the direct admissions process is a good way to sort of reconnect or re-energize these people. And Sterling, is it fair to say that if, if after a month you haven't been able to get someone, they've ducked the calls, they've not responded, that's an indicator that that they're maybe at a they're they're at a different kind of stage in their in their buying journey, right? And that the the questions they have or the the things that are preventing them from kind of talking to you is because maybe they're not sold on the program or they're not clear on the career or they're you know they're undecided to the point they don't want to have a a conversation. So if we, if we share information on, you know, what the career is like, what's it like to be a, a practical nurse? And if we share job stats and, and career opportunities and kind of a day in the life and testimonials from um, students that are taking the programs and graduates and employers, that that kind of messaging might help tip somebody to the point where they are ready to say yes to talk to a conversation. No, exactly, because when you sort of change the tone away from that transactional tone towards something where you're now becoming someone who's providing information to them, they sort of, um, their guard comes down a bit, so they're more likely to re-engage with you, and especially if you provide the information that they are lacking or they're needing that would warm them or get them back into the process where they're energized and excited about it again. So it's just a find, it's just changing that message from 
the initial month, that more admissions type message towards now we want to provide you with information or provide you support, but the tone of those emails or that messaging is going to be different, and hopefully that change of tone will resonate with them. Great. So th- this is broadly called nurture marketing or remarketing or uh, uh, I know there's other terms. Drip, drip marketing. Drip marketing, yeah. Hey, Tom, do you have yep. any thoughts on this? I know you, you've had done an extensive amount of kind of drip nurture remarketing, whatever we want to call it, in, in your past. Do you have anything to add? Uh, I mean, everything's pretty much right on right on the money. And even at, in enrollment resources, when we work with clients, uh, it's pretty much a six-call process, four to five emails, so over about a three-week period. Uh, then you go into an, a nurturing campaign where you may mix up the media a little bit. It might it, it drops off from phone calls to now it's maybe an email, then a postcard, then maybe a letter. Uh, but you, you've got to have a nurturing a lead nurturing campaign, um, and as Sterling mentioned, it, the message softens and changes a little bit from, "Hey, we're trying to get a hold of you. This is urgent, urgent, urgent." To, you know, "Hey, well, you know, we'd love to find out a little bit more about you, or a survey, uh, or a little less uh, pushy of a message, trying to hit them with a variety of different me- medium." Uh, and the two go hand in hand. So, yes, it, as you mentioned, Shane, it goes from uh, admissions. Uh, opportunity in the first 30 days to uh, a marketing opportunity for the remainder of that time uh, that that you want to continue to work that lead through at least some type of a, a lead nurturing uh, system. Okay. And I think you know, that's that's the way uh, you know statistics and probabilities is what sales is based on, and whatever gives you the highest um, probability to be successful. Um, is what you should be basing your sales on. Tom, um, I, I bet you hey. run an efficient household. <laughs> hey, Shane, this is Scott. Uh, Shane, this is Scott. I, I was a little bit late. Could I weigh in for about 30 seconds if that's okay? Yes, please. Yeah, and I think one of the things that we have to remember when a prospective student you know, contacts us to ask for information, a lot of times it's based on emotion. There's something in their life that's not going right at the time. Uh, and, and, again, sometimes their lives are on a roller coaster. Today is great. Tomorrow, you know, isn't so great. So they request information. They want us to contact them. And then all of a sudden the situation changes, and it can be good for the next two weeks or three weeks. That's why it's so important uh, when you're nurturing. It's a, really a lot of times it comes down to uh, the timing of it, you know, catching them when, you know, the life might not be, you know, at a great place. So, you know, if you're constantly nurturing them after two weeks, three weeks, or 22 days, it becomes a matter of timing where all of a sudden you get hold of them and they're ready. So yeah, it, it's just crucial. It's just crucial. Great, great insight. Hey, everyone, this is Scott Spitolnik. He's also one of our uh, members of the ERS team. I didn't know you were going to be on, Scott. Happy to have you. Yeah, okay. good to be here. Steve, text messaging. Now, I've, I've heard mixed statistics on the performance of using text messaging as part of the contact strategy. Does Velocify have a position on this? We do have a position on it, and we have a couple uh, that I'm going to talk about today. Uh, we've, we, you know, we have a texting solution in our, in, our, in our software that you can automate texting to, you know, based on triggers and use it any way you want. There are all kinds of other texting, great texting solutions out there that you can integrate into your admissions process. Uh, but our thoughts on texting, there are a couple. Number one, 
you, you basically, we, we initially said years ago that texting was best utilized in post-contact strategic form, meaning do, don't send text messaging until you've made initial contact with somebody. Maybe it's a phone call or an email, and that triggers some sort of communication between the prospect and the admissions advisor, and then you start texting. And when you do, you send text messages on appointment reminders or an appointment no-show happens, and you send a text to remind them to reschedule or the application's past deadline and you missed the deadline, so you send a text. So we've seen a lot of transactional texting used in that fashion by clients that use our solution, and we hear that with others out in the market as well. Um, but something that we've just come to find out has changed our thought process a little bit, and we want to share some information. We had a school that we interviewed uh, just a few months back that uh, we talked extensively about texting with them. And this is a flight school, uh, about five campuses, and a younger demographic, 17 to 34 is their demographic. And this school used texting as part of its initial outreach. So they might, in their first six calls that they would make or five calls that they would make, they, would, they basically integrated two text messages pre-contact into the messaging and found that they got better response out of the texting than they did on phone calls. Now that is new information for us. It's different from what our research has shown, but it also shows that I think today we need to be thinking about for a world-class environment and enrollment process, how are we using texting? And if you've got a younger demographic, we would suggest you really start thinking about when you send text messages to prospects. Is it pre-contact or post-contact, our research would tell you now that, you know, if they're interviewing this, you know, school executive, texting increased contact as much or more than phone calls. So we have a couple, <laughs> so of, gonna, couple, couple thoughts on that there. Yeah, Actually, let me jump in, jump in, Steve, and then I'll, I'll, I'll get some other opinions. So this has been, the, the uh, uh, on this topic, this has been the pressing question for a couple of years now. Right. Basically, do you need a, a pre-existing relationship with somebody in order to have permission to text them, or do you just text them in advance? And there's, there's conflicting data on that. You know, I was just thinking about it now. When somebody leaves me a voicemail message on my phone, it automatically converts that to a text message and texts me. Right? And so I'm wondering if it could be that as technological advancements make their way into our everyday lives if that's not influencing whether the, the, how you use this tactic. Um, maybe we'll ta ta start with uh, Tom and then Sterling if you want to weigh in, Sterling or Scott. Yeah, I'll, what I have found uh, to, to be extraordinarily successful, and I, I think that times are changing. It, it is a pre-context strategy uh, to an extent, but I would say the majority of people will not answer their cell phone if they don't know the number that's calling. So a, to me, the most important text is the one following the very first phone call and voicemail where you least let them know who you are and why you're calling, um, which can prompt a return call or a return text immediately. Uh, because, again, people just don't answer their phone, but if you text them, letting them know, hey, I just tried calling you from XYZ school uh, with the information requested type of a, of a text, uh, that will increase the amount of uh, opportunity you have of somebody calling you back uh, since they didn't take the first call. Uh, 
Um, I also believe that of those first six calls which I am a, a, a proponent of, outside the very first call, um, without overdoing texting, any of those other five calls, a text could be substituted once or twice uh, for one of those other calls um, as a communications method. And, uh, in fact, I've seen schools and had a rep that worked for me who uh, set most of his appointments through texting and, and not through voice. I don't advocate that. But um, after the first call and an immediate follow-up text, if you didn't get them, of the other five calls in the first three weeks, um, I would say that at least one or two of those could also be a text instead as a form of uh, reaching out. Hmm. Sterling? Or, yeah. Or yeah, so this, how important is the type of content, like what you, content is, I hate that word, but the, the, the words you use in the text, how important is that in, in it being successful or not successful? Well, I think uh, especially nowadays, like the way millennials are and like most people are reaching out to, uh, a lot of them are going to be millennials or even younger. And um, they've grown up living with text and everything, and so they're used to quick communication, and they're used to um, sort of a little more, I, I don't like to use the term, but it's like superficial communication. So when you reach out to them, if you could text them in a way that, um, I guess, sort of alleviating anxiety they have, because what I find is, uh, especially the younger generation of people, they have anxiety around picking up a phone. And so if you could give them the information that they require to um, get them excited about the next step in that text, that you would actually have a lot better opportunity of getting them to do something and move forward. So within that text, um, you, you, you want to not overwhelm them with information, but give them uh, enough that you could spark that conversation. And um, I actually want to mention, uh, we had a comment come in from um, John Ledesma, and he mentioned that in his experience he found that adding um, the text within the phone calls and voicemails and emails within the first three weeks was actually very effective. So his is about mixing in the text within just the overall communication um, really seem to add quality to it. Hmm. So this, in, in a way, this, this, these tactics around different ways you outreach, it's almost like marketing mix in that there's not one, you can't just do one, you've got to mix it up to give yourself the best odds of success. Absolutely. Exactly. Interesting. Yep. Uh, okay. Let's talk about uh, nerd stuff for a sec. So, Steve, within Velocify, there's, there's um, like routing rules and logic and pretty advanced technology that lets you basically connect the right kind of lead to the right admissions rep. And anecdotally, I remember years ago we did a boot camp. Um, I don't remember what it was, ages ago. And this had come up. The one director of admissions was talking, was sharing with the group how um, he found that certain reps did were more successful with certain kind of people. Like there was a Latin guy who was really good looking, um, and women responded really well to him. So if you know a woman came in, he's the guy that got that lead. There was another rep who was a little less assuming and more. I forget the scenario, but a different different person was really good with a different kind of type of prospect and they found that they got gains and conversion rates just trying to match the right personalities with the 
with the type of prospect. It strikes me that um, the, the kind of routing logics that you, your system can do is a similar principle to that. Can you uh, tell me more about it? Was that a horrible question? I was a little roundabout. Yeah, sorry about that. I had, one of the things that I want to say about that, Shane, is we're talking about distribution, and you know, at Velocify, that is one of our core, core focal points that we like to uh, live and breathe every day is getting the right inquiry to the right rep at the right time always. And it's super important on the student journey side because exactly like you're talking about, if you have skills-based routing or you can distribute inquiries around program of interest and then you, know, you have certain tiered performers, A players, B players, C players, you can strategically be thinking about how you use those players in relation to the inquiry types that are coming in. Use your system that you have as a CRM to logically pass out those inquiries to the best possible person. Maybe you've got somebody who converts medical <laughs> assisting or medical programs better than they do IT programs or business programs. So, you know, charter more of those inquiries to that person or those people than business inquiries or IT. Can you clarify what skills-based routing means? Skills-based routing would be similar to, like, I have a mastered skill as an admissions advisor. My skill is best suited towards medical assisting or medical programs. I am best suited to handle those types of prospects because I am more comfortable. My conversion rates are higher on those types of inquiries than anything else. So the leadership should be thinking about sending Steve Davis more of the medical type programs to work because I, I do better at those. So that's, that's skills-based routing. Got it. Okay. And so I interrupted you. You, had, you were adding something to that. Um, yeah. If, as far as you know, other types of distribution methods, you, you can do round robin. Uh, that's, that's, that's the typical way that you know, most CRMs will allow you to distribute inquiries so you're having, you have an even pool. But I think it's really important to definitely utilize your talent as good as you can is all I, all I was going to wrap up with is make sure that you're intelligent and you're studying your data, track the information in your system so that you can make intelligent decisions off true data about who's doing better with which types of inquiries and then you start distributing inquiries around the results you're seeing. So use your data and be smart about it. Got it. Okay. So part of this webinar, point of this webinar series is to, to tell people what they should be doing. So uh, what I'm hearing, you know, we're, we're sharing best practices, right, and not, not political ones that we're trying to avoid taking a position. We're going to take a hard position. So if you had to take a hard position right now on this, area, on this topic, is skills-based, what do we call it, skills-based routing, so the, the, the lead gets to the person most likely to convert the lead, does that beat round-robin distribution every time? I would prefer skills-based routing over round-robin because then you're going to get a mixed bag of results with, with the distribution. <clears throat> The, my number one preference would be performance-based distribution, and I don't necessarily believe that equal distribution is the right way to go. I think you need to use your talent. More schools have less inquiries than they used to, so you can get more with less now in today's marketplace. I believe that the best distribution 
method out there is performance-based routing based off of conversion percentage. And in your system, you should be able to hopefully every night recalculate conversion percentage. You can also, uh, if your system will do it, allow you to do conversion along with program of interest. And you can be strategic about how you pass out your inquiries. Your system should tell you those things. You should be able to use that data to make smart decisions. And so those are kind of my thoughts on methodologies around best practice distribution and, methods. And, and I want to make sure I understand performance-based routing then. Would that mean, so if, if Tom's a better performer than me, right, just by the numbers, he converts higher, does that mean he gets more leads and better leads than me? He could. He could if the, if the management of the school decides that that should be the case. Yes. Yeah, un, under might, a performance-based routing system. Under a performance-based routing system, that you might write rules around distribution that say Tom – Tom King is a 16% conversion rate, and I'm going to give Tom seven new inquiries a day because of that. Shane is converting at 11%. Shane will get five new inquiries a day, and they're going to be these programs based on what we're seeing from our data. So Shane is an 11% converter. He gets five a day. And you know, Sterling is at 6%. He gets three a day. And until we start seeing some shift in performance, that's the way it's going to be. So it, it's it, that's performance distribution yeah. and managing That's fascinating. It. That's yeah. fascinating. And, and it so, gets important to strategize like that. The closer you get to your start also, I always found, you know, if I'm three weeks away from my start, I want my top performer to get more leads than, you know, my so-called bottom performers because I know they're going to do more with the leads coming in. So, And, and that could be turned on and off as you get closer to the start or based on time frame also, Steve, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. And that becomes more mission critical as you get closer to the start and you, you're, you're managing your inquiry flow up to that start. Use your data, be reading it constantly, have it be real time and make good decisions on volume control. Your better performers can generally handle more. They know the job. They've, they're A players. They've been doing it a while. It comes naturally to them. They're unconscious about their efforts every day. It's just one of those things where equal distribution always is not the best way to go. Amen. Right. So, so using a sports analogy, right? You know, if we're in the we're in the World Series or we're in we're in a game, we got to win. You play your best players, right? And it's not oh, it's it's uh, Steve's turn to play first base. It's whoever's the best first baseman plays first base that day. Or you right. I mean, you're, you know, you know, schools that use Velocify are not going to necessarily give their top converting SEO inquiries to a brand new admissions advisor who just started yesterday, they're going to be intelligent and say, okay, you're starting new. We're going to give you three inquiries a day. You're going to get one PPC inquiry and two PPL leads a day for the first month to break you in. Your performance expectations will be geared around that, but we're going to be smart about how we ramp you up. And then you're not wasting better inquiries on somebody who's just learning the trade. So you have to be smart about it. Interesting. Now, someone had said, Steve, I think you had said also that, you know, like the days of abundant lead flow are done, to paraphrase. So, and I think this is an important point to frame up this kind of um, a model of managing an admissions team, right? And it's our belief, it's my belief, certainly, that the days of tons of leads, hey, let's just turn the tap on and flood them, those days are done. 
partly due to the collapse of the PPL business model, paper lead guys, most of them are gone now, um, partly because Google costs continue to rise despite the shrinking of the market, generating a paid search lead is still more expensive today than it was a year ago and, and continues to go up, largely driven by Google's stock price and, and their, their control of the market. And uh, also, SEO leads are harder to generate than ever as traditional media channels continue to collapse, right? It's, you know, the, the, there's still more and more stations and less and less people watching them as Netflix and others kind of take control of eyeballs. So if, you're, if your business is not designed, your school is not designed to maximize every opportunity, you're at risk. Tom, is that too bloody-minded, or is that a fair assessment? No, I, I, think, it, I think it's right on. I, I, again, I said it earlier in this podcast, um, all sales and almost anything you do in life is based on strategy and probability, or it should be. But what strategy gives you the best chance for success or best probability for success what leads give you the best probability for success? Uh, you know, which reps give you the best probability for success? I think a lot of schools do it subliminally. I mean, if your friend as an admissions manager said, you know what, my son is coming here, which rep did you, would you have worked with that student? So you, you know, even if you're not tracking your numbers, which I believe you should be, you know which guy you want to deal with that individual. And it may not be your most hardcore conversion. It might be the person who has the best soft skills because it's a friend of yours and you don't want them to be hammered hard or something. But uh, I, I, I truly believe in that performance-based routing um, or skills-based to a second, second degree. Give yourself the best chance to succeed by putting the reps that will do the best job with, which, with certain leads on, on that. Uh, this is a numbers game, and it is a sales game, uh, and it can be managed by the numbers as opposed to managed through your, your heart. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, okay. Let's, what do we got? We have 14 minutes, so we got a few more points to get through, so we're going to blast through a couple of these. Uh, Steve, t tell me about voicemails. What's the best strategy on this? Yeah, so we've, we've done a lot of uh, analysis around voicemails at Velocify and, you know, all the client data that we've been able to review in mind and mine and interviewing clients. And, you know, with voicemails, there are a few things I want to talk about. Number one is be precise about what you're saying. Have a controlled dialogue in your voicemails. And if you have a scripting tool in your solution that you use at your school, Script out your messages that are maybe 20 to 30 seconds long and precise that aren't rambling and off the top of the mind because that's when you get bad messages left. Um, the concept would be leave two voicemails on six calls. That's the right, right number that we've found. So the idea is two voicemails on six calls. And be precise. Use your scripting tool. Those are a few points that I wanted to share with the group today on, on voicemails. So I, 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 I think I use this analogy all the time, and it's, it's sort of obnoxious, but I still think it's true. It's um, like for dating. So if you're, hey, you're, you're trying to, I don't know, you're texting with some 
potential date, and you leave some rambling, idiotic voicemail message, <laughs> your chance of getting that date goes down, right? Same principle. Now, Greg, you know, we talk about, uh, Greg uses this analogy all the time, we talk about thinking about voicemails as little mini radio ads, right? And you're, you're leaving a, a radio ad. It, it, I believe in your system, Steve, you can, you can pre-record a voicemail and have it and just click a button and it automatically records. Is that right? Right, right. Yeah, you want to, you wanna, and that's a great point. You want to, if you can automate your voicemails, do it, because obviously how I sound at 8.30 in the morning when I've made my first call and my first voicemail, if I'm just doing it random manual like I would be right now in this moment, and then I make a call at 4 o'clock and it's my 86th call of the day and uh, I'm tired and I don't feel as good as I did at 9, I'm not going to sound as good. If you can pre-record your message, guess what? You're going to sound the same at 8.30 as you do at 4.30. You know, in our system, you can leave voicemails at the precise timeline of where the student is in the enrollment journey. So, you know, if you've got a system that will do that, have different messages for different stages of the enrollment cycle. And if you don't have automation, you know, make sure you're scripting out each of the messages that you're going to be dropping in the enrollment cycle. But yeah, automate everything if you can. And we, you know, we definitely are fans of obviously automating voicemails. It's really important. It saves time. You're talking about 30 seconds every time you leave a message that's saved. You, if you left 25 messages a day, look at all the time you've saved and got back by, by automating it and leaving an automated message. Hey, uh, Sterling, uh, just ping me. We have a we have a question about voicemails, uh, and then Scott, we'll get your opinion. Okay, great. Sterling, yeah. So, so we have a question from uh, Robin Collum, and and her question is: Are there suggested scripts available, and are there what are the best practices for that? So, with regards to voicemail. Yeah, you know, I I would say we don't we don't have a best practice scripting at Velocify. Actually, I think that would be something enrollment resources, you know, with coaching, advising, and consulting that you do. You might have some better analogies there. We just would give you the tool to do it. I'm going to toss that one over to Shane and Tom because I think that's something you you would talk about with your clients on a pretty regular basis. And it is something that we do. So uh, and on clients that I work with uh, that we do. Um, our consulting sessions on, we will help provide them with, with scripts. Um, and, but those scripts still need to be split tested on a constant basis. Not every script works for every school in every situation. Uh, so we come in with some basic uh, scripts and then split test those things. Uh, and you want to make sure you've got a good 30-second radio ad um, that's going to get a response and not the boring, hi, this is Tom from XYZ School <laughs> calling you back with the info you requested. Please give me, you know, that's boring. No one's going to call you back. It's got to be a good 30-second radio ad uh, type of spot that uh, elicits a response. Scotty, what are your thoughts? Oh, Scott, we can't hear you, buddy. You might be muted. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I lost it. Yeah, actually, uh, I, I, that's what I was going to ask Steve, what his feeling is on, uh, you know, A, B, or A, even A, B, C testing messages left and tracking the results. Because obviously, if we leave the same message every time, not getting results, we're going to say, well, leaving voice messages uh, yeah, it doesn't work. But, um, yeah, I was just going to ask him, basically what Tom just brought up, what his feeling is on A, B, well, but, A, B, Okay, Scott, so, so do, do you have uh, – 
you know, Robin's asking, like, we're, we're not answering your question. So yeah, what's the voice yeah. the leap? Well, I got to tell you, one of the things that I've used for years and years and years that was always effective was instead of giving a whole lot of information on the voice message or saying, hey, this is Scott, I know you're requesting information, you know, call me. One of the, it was short and sweet. Hi, uh, Shane, this is Scott from ABC College. I know you uh, wanted info about the school. I know we can help you here at ABC College. Give me a call as soon as possible. But I always found using that phraseology, I know we can help you, works. Uh, even oh, I when I had somebody on the phone, but when I left the message, and, and it works, you know, I know we can help you. Give me That's a call a back one. as soon as possible. It's a good call to action. It kind of gets them over the fear, well, you know, the salesy fear. I know we can help you. And, again, um, it's worked for me for a number of years. That's a great one. I'll share one. This, now, the scenario is different. The scenario is you know, they've been in our database for some time and have not been responding. And this came out of um, uh, working with a group of schools where we had them go through an exercise and each rep was had to write a script, test it, measure their response rate, and this was the winner. It, I, I'm not going to remember it verbatim, but the gist of it was, um, hi, it's uh, Shane from, you know, ER Institute. Um, I have your file on my desk and I, I need to close your file. Can you please call me? There you go. And it was some, it basically it was the tone was administrative in nature. And so they got a very high callback because it was not, there was no pitch attached to it at all. There was no promotion. There was nothing. It was more of a sort of a seemingly administrative type message. But, you know, and some people said, hey, you know, I've enrolled elsewhere. But a bunch, it was an opportunity to reengage in a conversation. Okay. Uh, we have six minutes, and I want to leave a little bit of time for questions, so we're going to do um, uh, one, possibly two more. TCPA, FCC. So there are rules, obnoxious, bureaucratic, pain-in-the-ass rules that we all have to abide by, and I think it's important that we clarify what those are and how we and how we. Uh, comply with them. So, Steve, can you we'll walk us through this briefly? Yeah, this is a tricky one. I'm not an attorney, so you know, and I have never worked at the FCC. But you know, when you're when you're talking about TCPA and FCC, there are definite different guidelines that exist out in the marketplace. Um, you know, I I literally go to the FCC website or the, or TCPA compliance websites, but one of them is that, you know, you have to be careful about making sure you have consent to make calls. You risk fines if you, if you exceed 90 days of making a call and inquiry where there's no business transaction. You are at the risk of, making, of obtaining fines that are very, very uh, large in dollar amounts for any calls beyond 90 days of being in your system. So you want to you think about how you're – how your contact strategy looks, when you're making calls, um, your call recordings, your monitoring guides, being aware of two-party consent states, cell phone communication uh, monitoring, you want to du double opt in on those kind of uh, call strategies. You know, those are just some starters, some starter points of discussion that I would throw out regarding uh, TCPA and FCC and open it back up to you, Shane, and sure. ER, ER team yep. for, for more follow-up. And, and, and so the, the reason I wanted to touch on this one is that really this speaks to the importance of having a system. 
right? Like, because if you don't have an orchestrated flow of things, you cannot construct it to navigate the various rules that are out there. And these things are landmines, right? They're little landmines sitting there unstepped on, and then some uh, regulator, bean counter, disgruntled somebody comes along, and if you're not organized in how you approach this work, you can be in trouble, and it's a massive pain. So the 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 important of the importance of systems is not only one of performance, right? Where we we need to perform better and we want to get higher conversion rates. It's one of self of survival, really. Is that f fair? Yep. Absolutely. I'm on my end. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Comply. I'm going to summarize what we've talked about, and then we're going to open it up for questions. So maybe, Jody, after I've summarized it, can you unmute everybody? And if anyone has a question, they can pipe up. So the formula that we described today in the last hour is, is basically this. Great leads plus immediate response plus, uh, you know, a culture that, that values competition and understands that, you know, sales is part of life plus six-ish attempts at contact over the course of 22 days, plus using texting, plus being considerate of the voicemails, plus getting the right lead to the right person in a performance-based routing model, plus, I forgot to write the last two, what was it, plus uh, well, you know, plus being organized and, and making sure you abide by regulations equals enrollment success. So simple. <laughs> but it's worth it, right? Because the difference between this and not doing any of these things is the difference between, what, you know, two students and ten students, or, you know, 200 and 2,000, right? It's the difference between um, marginally profitable or break-even and profitable. Okay. Yep. Jody, can you unmute, or whoever is administering this, can you unmute the um, attendees, and let's, uh, let's open up the questions, see if anyone has any questions. Uh, or if anyone wants to uh, star six, they can unmute themselves and jump in on mm -hmm. the call. Oh, great, yes. Just press that, star that six. That way we don't That's have mass, mass chaos. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, we have no questions. I'll give it. Wait, wait, wait. You have a question. It's oh, there we go. at Nets in, in Summers, Connecticut. Again. <laughs> Great, Valerie. I have, I, have, I have a question. Um, do the limited number of calls and things also affect you on the back end where you're, you're doing job placement? Oh, could you apply that six calls, 22 days to like an employer you're trying to connect with? Uh, whether whether it's an employer you're trying to connect with, especially if you're trying to get uh, a, uh, an employment verification for accreditation. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, uh, that's a great question. I have no idea. Anybody want to weigh in? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. That's that's a different a different you know, question to ask. It's a good question. I, I wouldn't have the supporting data to, to, to back it up on the Velocify side, but I think it's a great question. Um, not quite sure how to respond to that one, but it's a great question. Yeah. Except to try and test 
see if it works. It could open up a whole new area. But, uh, yeah, that is a great question. Okay. Hey, Valerie, I'm, I'm, we're prepping for a talk in a few weeks or maybe the end of August on innovation, how to create a culture of innovation. We're just doing the notes up now. One of them is that you borrow um, – uh, you, you borrow processes and things that are successful in other sectors and uh-huh. apply it to yours. And I think this would qualify under that point, right? You borrow something that works great in admissions and apply it to career services, and I'll bet mm-hmm. you it would help. Yep. It I definitely great. have my, my best practices, and uh, I, I'm busy uh, spreading what I've developed with across the other schools. That's great. Mm-hmm. Keep it yeah, up. Thanks. Good. Okay, any well, other questions? I look questions? forward to your, your, your thing. Yes, thank you very much. I appreciate you having the courage to ask a question. <laughs> uh, if anyone else, let's see, any other questions? Okay, well, folks, we're thank done. You. Look at that. We're a minute over, which worked out just fine. Uh, Steve, Tom, Sterling, and Scott, Thank you all for uh, your great insights, and for everyone that attended, thank you. Uh, We look forward to talking to you next week. This podcast is brought to you by Enrollment Resources, innovations in enrollment management. Learn more at enrollmentresources.com.